Hi, and welcome to the Magical Match podcast, a place to hear about real people with real stories around the important topic of stem cell donation and transplants. In each episode, I'll be chatting with donors, recipients, those in supportive roles, and people who have been affected by either a personal experience or through another's inspirational story. It is my hope that by opening the conversation around stem cell donation, we can inspire more people to sign up to the Stem Cell Register, offering more hope to those in need. In this episode, I chatted with Charlotte Cunliffe, Head of Register Development with Anthony Nolan, Sabrina Jarrett, National Development Manager with ACLT, that's the African Caribbean Leukaemia Trust, and Krishna Gakani, a volunteer with the Marrow Programme through Anthony Nolan. We talked about donor recruitment, the process and the ways people are recruited to the register, and the important partnerships with ACLT and the Marrow Programme, and how they work in educating and inspiring more people from all communities to sign up. Hope you enjoy it. Hi and welcome ladies. Hello. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having us. It is a pleasure. So I'm going to go to Charlotte first. Charlotte, you're the Head of Registered Development at Anthony Nolan. Can you talk a bit about how you came to be working for Anthony Nolan and what your role involves? Yep. So um, I'm currently responsible for the team that recruit people onto the Anthony Nolan Register. So there's a number of different key areas within the team, such as online recruitment, community recruitment, working with partners and volunteer groups, such as Marrow to recruit people onto the register. So we have a, a large team of people who are responsible for making sure that we have the right people on the register ready to save patients' lives. And I've been at Anthony Nolan now for over 13 years. I absolutely love the charity and I'm really, really passionate about the cause. I originally came to the charity as I have, um, I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukaemia when I was younger, when I was 22. And I didn't have a match on the register, but luckily chemotherapy worked for me. And I that meant that I knew a lot about Anthony Nolan by the time I saw the job came up and I was really excited to be able to work at a charity that meant so much to me and the people that I'd met on my ward. I think that is such a moving reason to join the Anthony Nolan charity because you've had such an experience to be able to then find yourself doing this sort of role and it's no wonder you're passionate about the whole thing. It feels like an honour to be honest to be able to have this job and be able to get to work with other people like everyone on this call including you Ginny who are you know raising awareness and getting more people on the register. It feels like more of an honour than a job. How do you recruit your people onto the donor register what sort of um, ways do you do that so we recruit in a number of ways so the, the main split is between online and then out in recruitment events so we have a really large online presence in which we reach out to our target communities and try and get them to sign up online which is a really simple process people fill in an application form online and then we send them a swab through the post And that was a really important during COVID when we couldn't do events. We actually saw our online recruitment grow massively as we weren't able to be out and about face-to-face in person. The other large way that we recruit is through event recruitment. And that's through amazing people like who we've also got on the podcast here today through our partners such as ACLT and also through our Marrow programme. 
The majority of the ways that we recruit people at events is in schools and universities. So 85% of the events that we hold are in schools and unis. And that's because we're trying to reach out to that youth audience who are really important to us and, and the, who are the people that we want on the register. But we also work in other places as well, work um, within fire stations or work within police stations. We work with army bases. We work with community groups or um, large community events. So there's lots of different um, ways that we recruit to the register, but the, um, the main way for events is in, within schools and universities. And so you've explained about the process as to how people sign up, because it is very, very simple, isn't it? And it only takes a matter of minutes to do a swab. Yes. And then you send it back in the post. Yes. Or if you're at an event, you can actually do the swab while you're at the event. So it's really simple. You you know, it takes a few minutes. You fill in an online application form. That might take a couple of minutes to fill in. You swab your cheeks. It's just three swabs just in each cheek. And then you're ready to have that sent to Anthony Nolan. Your tissue type would be added to the register and you could potentially be a life-saving match for someone. And what actually happens when somebody gets registered? What's the actual process from that registration with Anthony Nolan? What actually happens after that? How do you go about looking for a match? So what we would do in its most basic form, we would take the tissue type from the swab sample and that would be put onto the Anthony Nolan database, which also links into the World Marrow donor database. So when somebody needs a match, that entire world database is searched so that you could find a match for somebody within that. So what we would try and do is that we then match up the patient's tissue type with the tissue types of people that we already have on the register and then hope that we find a match through that. So donor drives, you've touched on events and things. How can people help? You know, how do they set up a donor drive? How can different companies help? How can individuals help to raise more awareness and, and get people signing up? So I think it's key to touch on sort of like what our target audience is and, what, and who can sign up to the register because that will give people a better idea of where we would yeah. be reaching out to and the places that we'd reach out to. So to sign up to the Anthony Nolan Register, you need to be aged between 16 and 30. And we really do want more younger people on the register. So 80% of people who donate are under 35. And we know that clinicians much prefer to pick younger donors. They're less likely to have long-term health problems themselves um, or have anything that might delay donation, So, which would be beneficial for the patient. So even within that 16 to 30, we do really target our efforts between 16 and 23-year-olds. So that's why we work a lot in different schools and universities and I guess in terms of what people can do it would be like thinking about where might they know young people where might they have a contact in a school or a university that they might be able to let us know about in their place of work might there be young people there are they a young person already can they spread it around their networks and so we can really simply you know send out people some information and they can share the link with everyone that they know who's within that target audience and then those people can sign up online so you know it really is simple to raise awareness and get more people on the register and it only takes one person to be that life-saving match so even if you could raise awareness to recruit one extra person onto the register that could make a massive difference so people might do that just by sharing a message in some whatsapp groups or putting it on their facebook group and things like that really do make a massive difference when it's done on a mass scale 
just listening to you explaining it, it it is such a simple thing to do and the reason why we're doing this podcast is to try and raise awareness because cancer affects one in two people these days and it affects everybody all walks of life all backgrounds all ages there's something so obvious almost about signing up it's just that i think either not many people will know about it but i think some people are scared about the process of what what that means and and then it's just raising, like you say, raising awareness. When you talk about the need for younger people on the on the register, I've heard some stories that it's, you know, like younger males are also really sought after. Why is that? Why does that matter so much? So we, as, as well as the young people, we definitely want more young men on the register. So at the moment, young men only make up 18% of the register, but they make up a huge proportion of the amount of people that go on to actually donate. So they provide 55% of all donations, even though there's only 18% of young people on the register. So we really need to address that and get more young men to sign up. And it, traditionally, it's been a bit harder to get men to sign up than women. So we really need to raise that awareness for young men and try and get them to yeah. get onto the register. I, I just wonder why that is. Interestingly, we've just done um, a youth campaign to try and reach out to the young male audience, working with some football teams too. So, um, yeah, we've we've run a recent campaign called Match for Match, which was about like trying to raise awareness by working with some influential football teams. That was uh, a really great way to reach out to those audiences. And there's a lot that we do online as well in in terms of really speaking to young men about, you know, the difference that they can make by signing up to the register and why we need them particularly to sign up. Yeah. And so I'm going to move over to Krishna now, just from the point of view of you work with the National Marrow Committee. And are you a graduate? Are you in university? So Marrow Group's all within the university. So I've just completed my undergrad and I'm about to start a postgrad um, in September. And a large part of what I chose my university was if there was an active Marrow Group. So I was part of Marrow for about, well, I have been a part of Marrow for about four years now, going on to a fifth year. But obviously, because it's largely based around university groups, you'll see them in, I think, 50 plus universities around the UK and Ireland. So most universities that you'll go to will have a Marrow Group there. Wonderful. And what do you do within, you know, your role working? How do you, when you're down on the ground, you know, and you're in university and you've got lots of people buzzing around, you know, are you running events? Are you raising awareness that way? Are you running around with a loud hailer? How how does it work? So with Maris Group specifically, we run a lot of fundraising events as well as donor recruitment events. So donor recruitment events within the university are usually just having a store somewhere that's quite busy on campus and going to approach people and telling them who Marrow are. But sometimes you hold week-long events or events over a few days where you maybe go to sports societies or cultural and religious societies to try and sign up more people from the register there. Um, and sometimes we just go into lectures and do shout-outs and see if the lecturers can maybe keep a slide up to talk about Marrow and who we are and try and get people to sign up through that. And with fundraisers, it's things like bake sales or cookbooks or calendars or just loads of different ways to try and raise more money for Anthony Owen because it costs £40 to sign someone up to the register. So fundraising is a huge part of what Marrow do as well. 
And and do you find when you're doing these fundraising events that it's you know that it's met with interest and you know excitement around it? Is there a bit of a buzz around it? Because I I can imagine with younger people, I think their lives are ahead of them and they can do so much, and they're just sort of going in out into the world. There, it's a really good spot to try and grab as many people as possible. I think with fundraising, it depends on the scale that either it's been advertised or the kind of fundraising event it is. So, for example, every year we hold, we used to hold an event called Take Me Out, which is basically just the same as the TV show, but we did it at the med school. And that got a lot of hype and always raised quite a lot of money. Things like bake sales or guessing how many seats were in a jar, they're quite small events, but we normally are able to hold them alongside donor recruitment events. They're just not promoted as much because obviously they're going to be there at the same time. So I think it just depends on the scale of the event that's being held and how much it's advertised. Krishna, please explain why you joined Marrow. So similar to Charlotte, I had leukaemia, but that was when I was seven. So I had chemotherapy and I was fine after that. Um, And a few years later, so I have an older sister and an older brother. And when my sister was at uni, she joined Marrow and I found out about it through her. And then when I joined uni, I was a bit scared to join the Marrow Society at first because I was like, I'm not allowed to join the register and I feel bad trying to make others do it. So then after speaking to some people who were on the Marrow committee from one of their events, I joined and then came to every event since then. And it's like what I was saying earlier, one of the main reasons why I joined is because of the low chance that it is for someone from a minority ethnic background to have a match. And I know that when I had leukemia, it probably would have been significantly lower because that was a good 15, 16 years ago. And even though it has increased, um, it's still quite sad to me that the number is not as high as it should be. So that's why I joined Marrow. And then I joined National Marrow because I was like, I really enjoyed my experience with my Marrow Society and now I want to do more. So then I applied for Marrow, National Marrow Committee afterwards. That's just made me really emotional. <laughs> Again, just I, I'm so moved by that expression of support that you want to provide for so many people when you've been through what you've been through yourself. How long has Marrow been part of Anthony Nolan? And who came, who came up with the idea initially? Is there is there a single person? or? Yeah, it started in Nottingham. And I believe the person who started it now works at Anthony Nolan. He's on the board of trustees. But it's been going for... I, believe 24 years this year i was working this out because for the conference after this is going to be 25 and i'm excited for it that's amazing i'm finding out more all the time i'm learning so much by doing this podcast and it's amazing to think that it's been running that long i think it's incredible again what you're doing and i understand there's so there's 50 marrow groups is that right across the uk Something along those lines. Charlotte might know the exact number more than I do. do you know, have you got any idea how many people are volunteers with Marrow? So we have approximately 600 volunteers around the country, which is incredible, especially in terms of the impact that they make, because Marrow statistically recruit about one in four of the people that actually go on to donate through Anthony Nolan donations. So the impact that the, the university group is absolutely huge. That's amazing. Yeah, really incredible. And and just to touch on the founder of Marrow, James Custo, when he originally set this up about 24 years ago, it was around his friend who needed a transplant. And he was a medical student. And at the time, it was harder to sign up to the registry. You needed to take a blood sample. And he realised, 
you know, there's something that we can be doing in medical schools around the country here to get loads more people signed up to the register. And he really wanted to do something that would support his friend as well from home who needed a transplant. So he had this idea to set up for Marrow and then it started off in a few medical schools and gradually grew. And now we're in a number of different universities around the country. And I might be biased, but I think it's probably one of the best volunteering experiences that you can have at universities to be part of a Marrow group. And we get really amazing feedback from our volunteers in terms of them really feeling like they can make an impact and do something incredible with the work that they do. I really hope that anybody listening to this, if we can uh, widen it to younger people, I really hope that some of those people are sitting here thinking, hmm, you know, maybe I can do something and that we get more people signing up and also helping with uh, the Marrow Committee. Uh, I think that's wonderful. So now I'm going to come on to Sabrina. Sabrina, you're working with the ACLT, African Caribbean Leukemia Trust, and you are the National Development Manager. How did you come to work with ACLT? And can you explain a little bit about how ACLT work with Anthony Nolan? Let me start talking about my experience and how I fell across ACLT and Anthony Nolan. So I'm thinking back to when I was 19 and I started working for a large company and my colleague there, he had a blood disorder and needed bone marrow. So he had a rare blood disorder and he said, oh, I need someone to donate. Now, I would never be a match for him because it's ethnicity specific. But I was like, if there's more people like this, then why am I not on the register? So that was 19. Um, so I signed, yeah. I signed up to Anthony Nolan yeah. and then I got my donor card, which is quite exciting, which played a bookmark for a number of years <laughs> because I was so proud of it. And um, yes. yeah. yeah, and throughout, <laughs> I worked for this company for 13 years, which came to an end this year. So I always knew about Anthony Nolan. And then I came to know about ACLT because it's in my community where I live and and also yeah. ethnicity specific. And I went to their Gift of Life Ball in 2019 and I was really moved. So I just continued to follow the journey. Funny enough, um, I saw a job posting for, which was posted on Anthony Nolan, but for ACLT, you know, I was like, this is for me. This is for me. So I've been at ACLT for six months now. A completely different journey. I was in banking before, but I was just so moved that I wanted to make a difference. And now I don't have a a personal story other than it being my friend. And, and as you say, one in two people get cancer now. And I just thought, if I can make a difference, then why not, you know? I think it's amazing that there's lots of things in life, I feel, that when you you know, you left your job, but then you found yourself looking over in a different direction. You then see a job that is perfect (laughs) for what you're interested in. And it almost just sort of comes to you. And if you hadn't left your job, that maybe that wasn't the opportunity that that would have, uh, you know, come to you at that time. I left my job specifically for ACLT and Anthony Nolan. It was a choice. It, and it was it was a big oh, choice because 13 years in what we, you would say was a comfortable career, it, it wasn't good enough mm. for me. I was making differences in the corporate world related to black professionals, but it wasn't enough. Like I, I needed to save lives. And so when my children ask me now, mum, what is it you do for work? I save lives. <laughs> that sounds so cool. <laughs> Have you got like an Avenger outfit, you know? I've got a cape. <laughs> my, my son would be, yeah, you've got a cape. That's, that'll do. That's great. That's what we want. 
<laughs> so ACLT, I mean, I've been doing some reading and looking at the videos about the little boy who inspired all of this, Daniel Daniel DeGale. Yeah, so history. And I would never, yes. let me disclose, I could never tell this story as his parents, Beverly DeGale no. and Oren Lewis. So no. Daniel was diagnosed at six in 1993. Um, something that sits really close to me because my daughter's now six and I just think I couldn't imagine, I, I could never imagine what that must have felt like. When he was diagnosed, um, he had a one in 250,000 chance to find his 10 out of 10 match, best match from an unrelated donor. And obviously um, the process is they will check family first, that wasn't a match and one in 250,000 chance. And and I say this and it shocks people completely, but if he was white, it would have been one in four. That's just, honestly, it's making me really emotional actually yeah. listening to it. It's it's astonishing. Yeah, and it is. When we say finding your match is like winning a lottery ticket, it really is. Lucky enough for Daniel, he found his match. Doreen Carney, she's from Detroit, USA. So you can get international matches. Incredible with this International yes. World Marrow Registry. But when Bev and Orin were doing their work with Anthony Nolan, who we now partner with, um, there was 500 black people in the UK register. And they knew that ethnicity played a massive part. It's scary. And they wanted to continue the work. They found Daniel's match. It took six years. It should never have taken six years. And so they, they, when Daniel received his, his match six years later he was cured from leukemia but the intensity of the chemotherapy and radiotherapy went meant that he needed regular blood transfusions sadly we lost daniel in october 2008 to multiple organ failure so you know we believe at aclt that no one should die waiting for a donor and um, my strap line yeah. since i came on board is ethnicity should never be a factor of your survival rates and i think anti nolan used that too so we not only focus on, because of Daniel's story, stem cell donation, but we also focus on the need for blood and organ donation, and it's linked to ethnicity. So we support all ethnicities, but we focus on the severe shortages of the African-Caribbean community, the mixed heritage community, and other ethnic minority groups. And why, when cancer affects one in two of us across the globe, why is it that black and mixed race, different ethnicities. What is the reason behind there not being enough people on the donor? There's a lot. There's a lot. As you would know, in different communities based on ethnicity, you mm. all have your own mm. cultures, religions um, and beliefs. And, and beliefs. Yeah. yeah. So mm. there's also a lot of misinformed individuals where we're going out in the community and educating. So the biggest one I've heard is that bone marrow is a big needle in your spine and it's going to really hurt. And, you know, I laugh yeah. at it because I know otherwise, but this is their beliefs. And so it's going into yeah. the communities and, and educating them that actually 90% is peripheral and it's from your bloodstream, you know? And, yeah. and you see like a light bulb moment, like it's really that easy. It's really that painless. Yeah. And then once they mm. are aware of the process, they then will see them, you know, more um, inclined to sign up and register. Yeah. As you say, the difference between a white Caucasian, white European person having an opportunity of a donor and, you know, a black or Caribbean, Asian, it doesn't feel fair. Mm. Every single person who, heaven forbid, has cancer has every right to a donor match. Of course. And we've got paired with, in our community, all the, the, the myths 
um, culture, religion mm. and beliefs. We've also got the fact that mm. our gene pool is very diverse. Yes. Africa alone is yeah. very diverse in the gene pool. And mm. I, when I started working, I asked Anthony Nolan, and this is not an opportunity that everyone gets to ask, um, a question that everyone gets to ask, but I said, you know, if I ever needed... 41 million people approximately on the world register, which mm. isn't actually lot, a lot when you think about the population. Who would be my 10 out of no, 10 match? Not... And um, she said, you know, the person I speak of, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, mm. because it will fuel me to do more and uh, make it personal. Mm. And she said, no one. And I was like, well, no, no one. No one. So if I was in need of a stem cell transplant, there is currently, currently, no one on the register that matches me because of my ethnicity. And I'm quite fortunate because I haven't been diagnosed with a blood disorder or blood cancer. But I think about all the other people that are from mixed heritage that may need a match. The whole thing makes me feel it's very unjust, but it's not about injustice. It's about messaging, I think, and fully understanding the opportunities that present themselves when you do become a stem cell donor or you you sign up to the register. I think it's about messaging and understanding in every community. Because, I I mean, I can remember being... I I was saying to Charlotte earlier, I was petrified of Anthony Nolan because when I was about seven and I saw the advert, I thought, oh, crikey, you know, you don't have a long life after it because you have this big needle and it's like a big drill. And, and I was like, nobody's taking my bone marrow, thank you very much. But actually, you know, you're in the situation. My son needs a donor. I'm then first in the queue. Where do I sign up? What do I do? Yeah. What does it mean? Yeah. So how does ACLT, you know, what do you do with Anthony Nolan? and how do you work together to increase people's opportunities? So we work really closely. They provide the register for us and we recruit. Um, specifically, like I said, we focus on all ethnicities and all communities, but we recruit based on the severe shortages of black and other ethnic minority groups. So we do like-minded things like Anthony Nolan. So we'll be in six forms, universities. We'll do outreach in the community and we'll also be in organisations recruiting to the register. And from a different point of view, so we've got Anthony Nolan's story, but we also got Daniel DeGale's story. And sometimes it's yeah. not the message is the messenger to increase the number of recruited donors. So much like, but just a little bit different. Well, and also just to, to touch on this, because obviously we're talking here specifically about stem cell donation, but you also reach out to people for organ donation and you're talking very much about blood disorders as well as you know blood cancer. Mm-hmm. So those are different situations but they are in sadly in every community across the globe and you know an organ donation obviously is very different from stem cell donation which we're sort of concentrating on here Mm -hmm. how can people help you know how can I help how can this podcast help how can we best recruit everybody that is able to go onto the stem cell register onto the stem cell register I, I would say two parts so the first part being about making an informed decision based on the correct amount of knowledge so talking to people about experiences or about what you know follow up with them about what they've learned and then see if they go on to do the ultimate and swab their cheeks and, and potentially save a life and then I think for the biggest thing for me who is you know in charge of organizing and running recruitment drives is Provide us with an audience, you know, virtually or face to face. Provide us with an audience because, you know, like when I go into a sixth form, I've got 150 students, you know, right in front of me that will get the emotion and the feel. And you will see once you're in front of an audience that you get over a 50 percent take up 
So audiences 16 plus, um, just so they can educate themselves, like answering the first the first thing I mentioned, just educating yourself to make an informed decision. Yeah, so it's finding the audience and, you know, trying to be face-to-face really as well. I think that also has a huge impact. I mean, we can do podcasts and conversations on audio, but there's nothing that beats, I think, you know, the sort of unspoken cues that you get from people and the the emotion that you feel from somebody who's standing up and having a conversation with you about something that's actually happening that is real, you know, cancer is rife. Yeah. And and it would be so lovely to see it just diminish and there'd be no need for anything. But yeah. while it is rife, we need people on the, the stem cell register and an understanding why they're doing it. And like you say, making an informed decision. Mm-hmm. All of you have talked about your job roles but for each of you what's the best bit about the roles that you do you know what gets you up in the morning and flying out the door so I think for me there's not many times that you can work on something and work with other people on something where there's such a tangible outcome in terms of really being able to know the amount of lives that you've saved like for the donors that we find those stem cells go to a patient in need and give that patient a second chance at life like Mm. we really know the amount of patients lives that we've had a huge impact on and not just the patients but the families within that so really being able to see that tangible outcome from the work that we do is really important and then I think the other thing is getting to work with amazing inspiring people like Krishna and Sabrina and and Eugenie who are just doing everything that they can to help this cause and work with passion and enthusiasm and commitment and you know we have so many volunteers who do this in in their free time Krishna probably spends more time on marrow than she has done on a degree she's told me that before so you know people who are put all of their spare time into this amazing work trying to help more more people so I think getting to work with such amazing inspiring people is a is the best thing about my role I was going to say similar to Charlotte it's when you have an event throughout the year and you see the numbers adding up whether it's fundraising or donor recruitment and seeing the numbers add up over the year and then having like your final total of this much, this is how much you fundraise and this is how many people you can sign up to the register because of it. And then also seeing the number of people you've signed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mara does weekly emails as well, telling us people who have gone and donate and then they tell you what university they signed up from and what year they've signed up from. So it's always nice seeing people go and donate from events that you've held. Also seeing a stat improve always makes me happy. So in the time that I've been doing Mara, the statistic for the amount of people who can find a man from a minority ethnic background has increased since I first started marrow. And every time I see that improve, it makes me very happy. I think that's lovely. Brilliant. I I would say six months in, it's got to be every one person I've added to the register. And I know that sounds very minute, but I, I understand the importance of one person, you know, so every one person that signs up to the register makes a a big difference of my day and then even more so when you've overcome challenges and they think why am I not doing this it's obvious I should be signing up that that just gives me a real buzz I've got a real adrenaline rush (laughs) all the time even when you're talking even when you're talking I'm feeling excited (laughs) (laughs) and I hope that doesn't change I'm sure it won't change it's amazing speaking with all of you this morning and hearing your passion the passion in in your voice about everything that you're doing it it comes to my notice that a lot of people that are working particularly um, when it comes to blood cancer are so incredibly passionate 
and and just full of excitement of what they can do and what they can achieve because it matters and because it well, it matters to so many people and it's making a huge impact to to every everyone and to to everyday people doing normal things but actually this is this is quite huge what would you say to people who are listening now and I'll go to Sabrina first what what would you tell people who are listening my personal opinion is it's effortless to join the register so if you haven't done so already do so and make sure you tell at least one person because that one person can tell one person and hopefully we'll increase the numbers on the register especially for the minority ethnic groups I would say if you can join the register you should but if you can't there's no reason you still can't help with either your university programs or programs outside of your university and volunteering programs so there's so much you can do even if you can't join the register so do what you can basically. I I don't think I can add anything to those two points I think they were just perfectly put very succinct yeah join the register and that all support us in another way. If you can't join the register, spread the word, raise vital funds for us, volunteer for us, have a look on our website. We have lots of different opportunities. So yeah, I think Sabrina and Krishna put it perfectly. And I just want to say thank you so much, Ginny, for inviting us all on the podcast today. I think it's an absolutely wonderful thing that you're doing. What a legacy for your son, a really special way to raise awareness and, and get the message out there. So thank you so much for hosting the podcast and for having us here today yes thank you thank you so much the pleasure is all mine and I'm sure if my son was here he would be high-fiving everybody and saying let's keep going keep going let's do more so thank you so much for your time everybody thank you for your informative um, discussion I've learned loads today and I hope everybody listening has learned something new That brings this episode to a close. I'm very grateful to all my guests today for their time and valuable information that they've given us. I hope you found today's conversation both interesting and inspiring. And as a sparkly new podcast, we are looking for guests to share their inspirational stories. So if you have one, we'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter at Magical Match Pod. And please do get in touch if you'd like to join me to share your own stem cell story. If you've enjoyed listening to today's episode, do like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have time, write us a review. We'll be back very soon with a new episode. In the meantime, please consider signing up to the Stem Cell Register because you could be someone's magical match. Thank you for listening. Magical Match Podcast is an OB Hive production originally inspired by a conversation with Andy Mitchell and other like-minded individuals. Magical Match Podcast is hosted and produced by Ginny Walker with audio production by James Walker and music by Cobalt Ocean.